0: If you will, take your Bibles now and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13. If you are new to Redeeming Grace, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Luke for some time now, and we find ourselves today in chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. So Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17 is our passage today. Looking forward to this time in God's Word, prayerful that He would use it to speak to us today that he might transform us by his grace. Let's hear now God's word as I begin reading in verse 10 of chapter 13 of Luke's gospel. Luke writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come and, Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Father, as we thank you for your word this morning, we pray now that you would use it to transform us by your grace. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you read of any account in the Gospels where you see Jesus' earthly ministry taking place, what stands out to you the most? What do you see when you see Jesus in the scriptures? You see some people when they read the Bible, when they read the gospel accounts especially, some do see Jesus for who he truly is. And yet others don't see him at all. The miracle that we have today in our text it seems similar to other miracles. In fact, it's quite similar. Someone is suffering, they encounter Jesus, and they are made well. This is not the first time we see that in the Bible. And that's exactly what we have in this text. There is someone suffering, they have this encounter, and in a word, Jesus makes them well. And yet, there's more going on in this, ta- in this text. Some scholars refer to this miracle here in Luke 13 as a mirror miracle. Try to say that seven times fast, a mirror miracle because it repeats activity that we've seen in previous chapters in Luke's gospel. Back in chapter four, if you go back to Luke chapter four in verses 31 through 44, Jesus heals a man with an unclean demon in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Chapter five, he cleanses a leper and he does so immediately. He heals a paralytic. In chapter six, he heals a man with a withered hand again when on the Sabbath. And so you see these themes continue to occur throughout the Gospel of Luke. And now we have a woman, we're told, disabled by a spirit for 18 years, so much so that she is physically impaired. She encounters Jesus there in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and she is healed immediately. See, the difference here, I think one of the reasons that Holy Spirit inspired Luke to incorporate this text is not just to show us another miracle, although it's another miracle. This really happened. This woman was truly changed. But it shows us something of especially in the context in which we find it, something that, that greater that God is also trying to teach us. This miracle takes place after all Jesus had taught and warned regarding the need for repentance. In fact, if you go back into verses 1 through 9, we looked at this. We, we, we see how Jesus is is calling for repentance and for the, the the nation of Israel in particular in verses 6 through 9 to respond to the message. They haven't as of yet. They are the barren fig tree. They've not shown forth fruit. They've not responded to him. And here we see this miracle of sorts. It is a miracle. And and what Jesus is doing is he's, he's showing us, he's allowing us to see through this miracle whether anything is different in terms of how people are responding to Jesus after many miracles, after the teachings, after the warnings, after the calling to repentance, have things changed in Israel? This passage also allows us to see what's most important to see, and that is the fact that Jesus is, in fact, truly who he claims to be. He doesn't come into this world and throughout his ministry making empty claims. He comes in power and with authority. And anyone who experiences him and responds to him by faith will be changed. In this encounter with the woman who had a disabling spirit, we see both Jesus' power and his compassion demonstrated. And as we look at that powerful compassion, I want us to to consider three results that that occur in this text. As the people, certainly the woman, but the leader of the synagogue, and then the people around, as they all encounter Jesus in this situation, I want us to, to, to consider the three results that are seen here. As we zero in upon this miracle, what are the three results? Well, first of all, we see... As Jesus demonstrates his compassion and his power, we see that it transforms the hurting. Verses 10 through 13, this is the encounter with a woman. Jesus is there in a local synagogue teaching, very similar thing that he does throughout the course of his ministry. And One of the people there on this occasion is a woman who had been terribly impacted by an evil spirit for 18 years. She's physically impaired. She's suffering greatly. Just think of all she must have endured. The torment of the spirit itself, the torment of being physically impacted for 18 years, the torment from other people's ridicule and the the object of harsh jokes, I'm sure, the social rejection she would have had to endure. On and on we could go. This woman, we don't even know her name, was a person who lived with spiritual, physical, and even social bondage. And despite all of that, there she was, faithfully attending the synagogue hearing Jesus teach. This text tells us that Jesus is actually the one who initiates the interaction on this occasion. We know that in other cases, people would come to Jesus and ask to be healed, but in this case, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and she's just an attender. She's in the congregation listening to him teach and he initiates, he sees her in the condition in which she's in and he initiates this occasion, he sees her and he calls her over to him. And once she comes to Jesus, he says to her, woman, you are you're freed from your disability. And then he touches her and immediately the spirit departs. And after 18 years of being physically bent over, she is now straight. She's able to stand up straight. 18 years of suffering and with a word from Jesus, she is made well. I want us to further consider several aspects about Jesus's compassion here as we see him transform the hurting. I want us to to see some things further. First of all, I want us to understand Jesus's compassion is what compelled him to help the helpless. This woman would have been considered an outcast on multiple levels. She was a woman in a culture that didn't honor women very well. She was disabled. We know that based upon other teachings, and certainly additional teachings to Scripture, not just in the Old Testament, but certainly in the, uh, in the religious system of the day, she would have been considered an outcast. She would have been among the socially invisible of the day. And yet Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned with the cultural perception of this woman, He is most concerned with seeing this woman in the condition in which she exists and he compassionately engages her to help her. His compassion compelled him often towards the hurting, towards the outcast, the marginalized. I think an important takeaway from this text and others like it is that Jesus teaches us demonstrating it through his own example, that it is always appropriate to extend compassion. Obviously, we are not able to minister in the same way that Jesus was. We have some limitations, right? We are not able to, to directly impact people's lives. We can't speak a word and see things like this happen. It would Have another conversation on another day about miracles and how those things can come about. I certainly believe miracles still happen today. Just on our own and in and of our own capacities, we're not able to minister in the same direct way as Jesus did. But our ministry to the hurting is one that can help people find the true source of hope and healing. We aren't the source ourselves but we can certainly point them to the one who is. Extending compassion is to be like Jesus. Again, Jesus initiates this healing. He's showing kindness. He's showing concern for this woman who was not even identified in this text by her name. She's only identified by her disability. And he extends grace and compassion to her in a time of need. He's showing the kindness of God. He's showing concern to those who are hurting, which is something that pleases the Lord. And I just think it's helpful to stop and ask just as an aside this morning from what's going on in this passage is as we seek to follow after Jesus, as we seek to reflect his character in a, in a world that is filled with bondage? Who is it in your context? Who is it in your community that is in most need of compassion? Who is it that it was in within your reach that is suffering and hurting, maybe ignored, rejected? How quick are you? How quick am I to extend compassion? What if this woman? would have walked into our gathering here today, bent over as she was, visibly obvious that she is suffering a great brokenness? What if she was to walk into our assembly today? Would you have stared at her? Or would you have served her? You see, we need to often check the attitudes of our own hearts when it comes to the marginalized and the hurting. And unfortunately, Christians can help perpetuate the marginalization with our calloused and careless attitudes. When we see the poor, the struggling, the hurting, our first thought should not be, I wonder what they did or didn't do to get themselves into that situation. Our first response should be one of compassion and care, just like the Savior, Brothers and sisters, do you put yourself in a position to even notice, much less care for, those who are hurting? The socially invisible. We, we're not told this, we can maybe assume it. 18 years maybe this lady attended the synagogue regularly. At least she's there on this day. Seems to indicate maybe even a pattern. Maybe she heard of Jesus in teaching and, and came maybe for the first time. We don't know that. But she would have been known at least to the community And here Jesus extends to her compassion. It moves him, it compels him. Number two, Jesus' compassion moves him to act in power. He sees her, he calls out to her, he touches, and immediately with the word heals her. In an instant, these years of physical and spiritual bondage are no more. We know from the text that the source of the woman's problem was the disabling spirit, And Jesus demonstrates his authority over the spirit, which results in the woman's deliverance. Just with all other healing accounts in the gospels, we see here, shining forth from this account, the power and the authority that Jesus has over any problem that you and I may face in this world. He has power over The physical, he has power over those who are in spiritual bondage and his power and authority are life-giving. Obvious takeaway from this text is with Jesus, nothing is impossible. He can create and transform. He can renew and break down. He can build and bring life. He can remove and defeat. He can do all he pleases with irresistible power. Brothers and sisters, that is a reality that we must all hold on to and never let go of. We see this disabling spirit and we're reminded that spiritual bondage is a a reality. There is a spiritual world out there and there is an impact. Satan is real. And he blinds eyes and he holds captives and he, and he impairs. He, he is quite powerful. But he's no match for Jesus. Friends, living in a fallen world will present endless opportunities for any of us to see how much we are in need of Jesus' power and grace our sin, our spiritual bondage, our physical suffering, on and on we can go. There's example after example after example of how needy we are of the power and mercy and kindness of God. No matter what you might be facing or no matter what you may have faced in the past or what you may face in the future, this passage reminds us that Jesus is sufficient to meet you where you are and give you hope. No condition is beyond his ability to impact and to change. we think about this woman, the release this woman enjoyed from the grip of Satan is a reminder that Jesus came to do just that. He came, his whole purpose of coming into this world was to come and to bring deliverance from captivity, deliverance from bondage. This is a real miracle that happens, but it's pointing to us a spiritual reality as well. This is why he came. He came to take those who were enslaved in in a, in a broken and fallen condition and to bring hope. He comes to free us from the terrible prison of Satan's grip, and he is the only one that can deliver us from such spiritual bondage. He came to reveal his power by providing help for the helpless and giving hope to the hopeless. So friend, if you find yourself in a similar situation today, you may not be troubled by a disabling spirit hunched over for 18 years, but you may find yourself in a very different but very real kind of bondage. This is a reminder to us that Jesus is your hope. He's the one that can deliver you. He came for that purpose. He came to accomplish that very reality. It's an encouragement to us to be reminded of that. And friends, even as followers of Jesus, it's an encouragement to us to take action when we see the opportunity that's before us. Again, we're not Jesus, but we can point others to him. He lives in us. Jesus was compelled to act to demonstrate his power, but number three, we see Jesus' compassion results in God glorifying joy. Verse 13 says, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. When someone has been the recipient of the power of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus and has received deliverance by his hand, this is the response. They will respond with worship, with joy, and they will glorify God for what he's done. The woman's encounter with Jesus on this day was transformative in a number of ways. She was physically delivered but she now enjoyed a new physical and spiritual reality, and therefore she worships. She honored God for the goodness that he has demonstrated in her life. It's a beautiful thing about the power of Jesus. Whenever we encounter his power and provision, it leaves us changed. Compassion of Jesus is not something that only addresses our temporal needs. It results in a joy that is ultimately everlasting, later on in the passage, we see that he refers to her in verse sixteen as a daughter of Abraham it's an interesting reference he 's rebuking the, the leaders, the, uh, the the hypocrites there in the synagogue, and he refers to her as a daughter of Abraham whom Satan had bound for eighteen years he 's pointing out that despite her spiritual and physical condition, he affirms her right to be part of the believing community. He's actually saying she is a daughter of Abraham, therefore she is a woman of faith. As if he's contrasting her faith to the lack of faith that exists in the leaders. And now she stands straight up physically as a testimony to the power of God at work in her life. She met Jesus and her condition was changed and it was visible for everyone to see. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if that could be said of each of us. Those of us who claim to have encountered the power and provision of God in our own lives. Are people able to see the evidence of God's gracious work in you? Is it evident through your posture? Was obviously here for her, but through other, through other ways for you. And is it evident through your worship? See, his compassion results in a transformed life that responds with God-glorifying joy. Transforms the hurting. This is what the power and compassion of Jesus does. Number two, it confronts the stubborn. You see that in verses 14 through 16. While the woman rejoiced and glorified God for what he had provided for her, there was at least one in the room, there always is, there was at least one in the room who wasn't so happy. The ruler of the synagogue, we're told, became indignant because Jesus healed this woman on the Sabbath. You see that in verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, Then he turns and gives a lecture to the people, to the congregation. Just imagine that. Jesus just healed this woman. She's now rejoicing and praising God, a woman that that surely they would have known and surely would have been rejoicing with. And then the, the leader of the synagogue gets up and lectures the people. There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. This is not the day. This is the Sabbath day. We know Jewish tradition was super strict about work on the Sabbath. In fact, in the Mishnah, a book dedicated to specific practices of Jewish tradition, there was at least 39 activities prohibited on the Sabbath. This is a a book that was additional to the Old Testament Scriptures, a book dedicated to specifying what these activities that were to be prohibited were We're not exactly sure which of those Jesus had so-called violated here. After all, he simply just touched a lady and spoke words and she was healed. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that here you have Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath teaching God's word, and now it's as if the leader of the synagogue comes along and, and accuses Jesus of disobeying God's word. Here you have the Word of God in flesh teaching the Word of God and now being accused of breaking the Word of God. Well, what does Jesus do? He's not having it. Not on this this occasion. Verse 15, like how Luke puts this, then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond of any day on the Sabbath day? One of the reasons this healing account follows the call to repentance we looked at in earlier chapter or in the earlier part of chapter 13 It follows the call to repentance in the parable of the barren fig tree in order to show us that despite Jesus' clear warnings, not much has changed in Israel. This leader demonstrates that all the previous warnings and all of the rebukes that Jesus had given and all the miracles that he had demonstrated have largely gone unheard. Teaches us an important truth about the depths of hard-heartedness. Jesus has repeatedly taught the people and warned them of the danger of rejecting him, and yet many continue in their stubborn unbelief. Friends, it shows us just how bad of a condition unbelief can be. Despite the widespread testimony, despite all of the miracles, all of the teaching, all of the evidence, despite it all, This leader doesn't see, doesn't see Jesus for who he is. And then Jesus goes on in his rebuke to them, you hypocrites, he goes on to show how they were actually guilty of breaking their own rules regarding animals in particular, leading them to water on the Sabbath, which, it's like, I mean, you're you're doing work then the obvious conclusion is made. A woman with a disabling spirit for 18 years is of much greater significance than, a, than an ox or a donkey needing some water. A woman impaired by an evil spirit is of much greater importance than a donkey or an ox need of water. Friends, those who are hardened to the reality of who Jesus is, despite all of the evidence, despite all of these things, will not and cannot see truth like this, even when it's so obvious. I think it gives us just a quick word of warning here to a few different groups of people. First of all, it's a warning to unbelievers. If you are not a Christian, you're watching here, first of all, we're thrilled you're here, or we're thrilled you're watching. But if you're not a Christian, it means that you've not yet repented of your sin and turned to Jesus by faith to be reconciled to God. And the irony here in this text is that while the lady had suffered the spiritual and physical bondage for all of these years, she is made well once she meets Jesus, yet, this leader of the synagogue who meets Jesus is actually showing that he's the one in true bondage. The longer that unbelief persists, the harder the heart becomes. Even when truth is staring you in the face. Friend, if you're not a Christian, this account here, I think, the fact that you may be hearing it today is a mercy of God to warn you not to persist in your unbelief, not to persist in your hard-heartedness to show you your need for a Savior. The only way out of your condition is to encounter Jesus and to embrace him for who he is, to trust him, for what he can give you. But I think it's also a warning to the religious, to believers. We're not told whether or not the... Leader here is a believer or not a believer. It seems to indicate that, based upon Jesus' rebuke, that he's probably not, or at least Jewish, but not yet embraced the truth of Jesus. But this we do know he was a leader of the synagogue, he knew the Old Testament scriptures, he had devoted his life to service, and yet he was so committed to ritual and extra biblical influences that he missed the entire point of the law. He was more concerned with tradition and extra rules than he was with rejoicing in the goodness of God. He was more wrapped up with his tradition and his extra rules and his legalism than he was with extending compassion. Friends, I think it's a warning to us is that you can be religious and miss Jesus entirely I think it's an exhortation to us that we need to read well and understand well our Bibles. I think you see here the the danger of what happens when you begin adding to the Scriptures. Let the Bible be the foundation upon which you stand, not other things, not other rules, not other forms of tradition, not other sources. Let this be a lesson for us all, that we must not be so bound up in rules and customs and preference that we can't rejoice in the blessings of others. So let this be a warning to each of us. Brothers and sisters, you can be faithful to the scriptures and also be compassionate. In fact, the two go hand in hand. But number three, and lastly... Does confront the stubborn, but we see that this text, this miracle, confirms the authority of Jesus. Verse seventeen: As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. So there's one group, and all the people rejoiced at the all the glorious things that were done by him. Another group. So you have his adversaries, those who were against him, put to shame. Jesus confronted them, showed the foolishness of their argument, shamed them in front of the assembly. And yet, there are others who saw the very same things and rejoiced. I think this passage is another passage among many others we could look at in the Scriptures that says there will always be two types of people that are in view when it comes to Jesus. Jesus. There are those who reject him and therefore will be shamed by him and there are those who rejoice in him and see him for who he is. Brothers and sisters, it's a reminder to us, friends, it's a reminder to us all that no one can look at Jesus and not have an opinion. No one can look at Jesus and remain indifferent towards him. No one can can see Jesus and somehow remain neutral you will either be shamed by him or delivered by him. You will either be indignant in your rejection of him or you will rejoice and glorify God in your acceptance by him of you. Both the woman and the leader, I think, are pictures of bondage. but only one was set free. Only one was the recipient of God's gracious provision. Only one gave evidence of seeing Jesus for who he truly is. Friends, that's the case for each of us here today. We are all born into spiritual bondage. We are all in need of the power and provision of Jesus. And either you have experienced that and responded to him in faith and rejoiced with your life or you haven't and you remain in that bondage. Friend, this this woman stands straight in front of us all today as a testimony to the sufficiency and the power of Jesus Christ. Do you see this as the work of an all-powerful, all-glorious Savior? Or do you just see it as another story among many? Friends, when you read the Gospels, my hope and my prayer for each of us is that we see Jesus. That we see him as the fulfillment of promise. That we see him as hope for the hopeless. That we see him as help for the helpless. That we see him as the one by which demons flee. Rulers are shamed. And still others rejoice. Jesus is full of compassion And limitless in his power. He is the one and the only one where you and I can find relief from our greatest burdens and yet find him as the source of our deepest joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this account. Lord of a woman, we don't even know her name. This account of your glorious power and compassion that was, on dim, that was on display in her life. Father, thank you for showing us your glorious provision and power and compassion through her. That we might be encouraged, that we might be exhorted to consider our own bondage, our own sin, that we might see Jesus as our only hope. And Father, for those who have trusted in Christ, that we would be reminded yet again that he is all we need and that there is no burden too great that he can't meet. Father, would you you shape us by these realities that we see about Christ today? Would you confront us? Would you help us? Would you... Would you work in us what we need to hear and see today that we might respond to you faithfully? Father, we thank you that you are a God of power and a God of compassion. Were it not for either, we would have no hope. And so, Lord, we are dependent upon you for the power that you provide, for the gift of grace that comes through Christ. We thank you, Lord, for what you've given us in him.